TikTok is feeling the heat. Over half of U.S. states have already banned the app on government devices. But what about a total ban? Washington seems to be moving in that direction. The White House says it's backing a Senate bill that aims to do just that. And it's not confined to TikTok. It would cover foreign-based tech that pose a national security threat. India has banned TikTok since 2020, with a smattering of countries following suit. This latest push comes amid growing concerns on data collection and the health and well-being of children. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A total U.S. ban on Chinese-owned video app TikTok. Could it really happen? The White House says it's backing a bill introduced Tuesday by a dozen senators. The bill would give the administration new powers to ban TikTok and other foreign-based technologies if they pose national security threats. If it passes, the measure could give way to an unprecedented, complete ban on TikTok on American soil. Let's take a closer look. The White House said Tuesday it backed legislation brought by a bipartisan group of a dozen senators to give the administration new powers to ban Chinese-owned video app TikTok and other foreign-based technologies if they pose national security threats. The endorsement boosts efforts by a number of lawmakers who want to rein in the popular app used by more than 100 million Americans. You got 100 million Americans, 90 minutes a day. Democratic Senator Mark Warren, who chairs the Intelligence Committee, said the bill gives the Commerce Department the ability to impose restrictions up to and including banning TikTok and other technologies. I absolutely believe that China, with its authoritarian values dominating those technologies, is not in the national security interest of our country or, for that matter, people across the world who don't live in authoritarian regimes. Warner said it would also apply to foreign technologies from China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, Venezuela, and Cuba. TikTok said in a statement that any U.S. ban on TikTok is a ban on the export of American culture and values to the billion-plus people who use our service worldwide. The bill would require the Commerce Secretary to identify and address foreign threats to information and communications technology products and services. Warner said it was important the government do more to make clear what it believes are the national security risks to the U.S. from the use of TikTok. Still, an outright ban of TikTok in the United States seems improbable to some experts, like Schumann goes Majumder, a former fraud czar at Google. It's extremely difficult to imagine uh, TikTok or any app of this scale being banned across the United States. There are a number of problems that are associated with uh, the government doing that, not the least of which is it's sort of unprecedented in terms of there's been no other app like this that has reached this level of popularity that has suddenly become banned in the United States. So I think practically uh, it's extremely difficult and probably unlikely. TikTok, owned by China's ByteDance, has come under increasing fire. That's over fears that user data could end up in the hands of the Chinese regime, undermining Western security interests. TikTok chief executive Shou Zhechu is due to appear before Congress on March 23rd. Echoing those concerns, the director of the U.S. National Security Agency has said he is concerned about what data TikTok may be collecting on users and how it could influence American children. He's also touched on the app's recommended content algorithm and who controls it. Some say it may be used to manipulate what users see as part of influence operations. Across the pond, TikTok is responding to pressure from UK lawmakers. The app has announced a new data security regime, nicknamed Project Clover. 
TikTok said Wednesday it would begin storing European user data locally this year and open new Europe-based data centers. The plan is similar to its U.S. strategy nicknamed Project Texas. Beijing's wolf warrior diplomacy is back on center stage, and this time it's not limited to Chinese spokespersons, now extending to the highest level of the Chinese Communist Party. Xi Jinping started his third term as the head of the CCP with uncharacteristic directness, blaming the United States for blocking China's rise. In a speech on Monday, he said Western countries, led by the U.S., have implemented all-around suppression and a siege against China, and it's brought unprecedented and severe challenges to China's development. He further called on Chinese people out to, quote, dare to fight and be good at fighting in order to constantly win new and greater victories. And with the same blunt tone, Xi Jinping's new foreign minister has issued a threat to the U.S., Here are the details. China's foreign minister on Tuesday said the United States had a distorted attitude towards China. And unless it changed its ways, conflict and confrontation will follow. The blunt comments came at a news conference on the sidelines of an annual parliament meeting in Beijing. If the United States does not hit the brakes but continues to speed down the wrong path, no amount of guardrails can prevent derailing or crash and there will surely be conflict and confrontation. Tensions between the two superpowers have escalated over a number of issues, including Taiwan, trade, and more recently the war in Ukraine. But they worsened last month after the United States shot down a balloon off the U.S. East Coast that it says was a Chinese spying craft. During the nearly two-hour news conference Tuesday, Foreign Minister Chen Gong reiterated China's position on Taiwan, saying it's a red line that cannot be crossed and also blamed what he called an invisible hand for the escalation of the war in Ukraine, without specifying who he was referring to, though Russia later said it was the United States. China has declined to condemn Russia's invasion and has fiercely defended its stance on the war, despite Western criticism of its failure to single Russia out as the aggressor. China has also vehemently denied U.S. accusations that it has been considering supplying Russia with weapons. For its part, the U.S. says it favors establishing guardrails for relations with China and is not seeking conflict. The directness of Chinese leaders may earn some applause from the nationalist audience in China, but risks prompting raised eyebrows abroad. The White House responded to China's warning on Tuesday. National Security Council Coordinator John Kirby said the U.S. seeks a strategic competition with China, not conflict, and that the U.S. aims to compete and win that competition with China. He added that Washington absolutely wants to keep it at that level. The U.S. ambassador to Japan says China should not be surprised that Washington and its allies in Asia are deepening military ties. In an exclusive interview with CNN Wednesday, Rahm Emanuel talked about Beijing's aggressive behavior toward many of its neighbors. China is going to have to realize if you want to be a respected, which is what they want, leader of the world, you have to actually respect the people you're interlocking with. You cannot constantly have one, two, one hammer. That is, they have had a confrontation or near confrontation with multiple countries in the region consistently. Responding to Beijing's warning, the U.S. is not to cross the first red line, meaning Taiwan. The island's defense minister said Taiwan will not allow repeated provocations from China. 
tensions over democratically governed Taiwan have spiked over the past three years. Beijing is ramping up diplomatic and military pressure to get the island to accept Chinese sovereignty. Beijing sees the self-governing island as part of Chinese territory and vows to take over Taiwan by force if necessary. With Washington intensifying support for Ukraine as it battles Russia, it's also preparing for war on another front, a potential conflict with China over Taiwan. On Monday, Taiwan's defense minister confirmed there's a military plan with the U.S. underway to turn Taiwan into a huge armed camp. Military exercises China has conducted around the island show that it will likely blockade the island if invaded. Taiwan would then have to hold out on its own until the U.S. or other allies intervened. The weapon buildup in Taiwan is part of Washington's so-called porcupine strategy to arm the island for a potential war with China. The goal? To raise the cost to China should it decide to invade. Taiwan has also been learning from Ukraine about how smaller armies can inflict heavy losses on larger rivals. That's by favoring smaller, more mobile weapons. U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy confirmed a plan to meet with Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen in the U.S. this year. The speaker added he won't rule out a trip to the island at a later date. Here's what he had to say on Tuesday. Here's more. I saw a report where um, it uh, said I would meet with the President of Taiwan. I will, which is in America. But that has nothing to do with um, my travel if I would go to Taiwan or not. China can't tell me where I to go, and none of that discussion ever happened. The president happens to be in America. The House said last month that McCarthy would visit Taiwan later this year or next year, but the Financial Times later reported that the trip had turned into a meeting with Tsai in California. McCarthy confirmed the news last night, but he also stressed that the decision wasn't made to please Beijing. Angered by the planned meeting, China has filed a diplomatic complaint with the U.S. Beijing claims self-ruled Taiwan as its own territory despite having never ruled the island. Taiwan is governed by its own democratic constitution. Former U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan last summer. Following her arrival there, Beijing kicked off a military drill in the water surrounding the island, encircling it. The U.S. is falling behind China in warship production, but its allies are stepping in to help. Right now, the Chinese Navy has 340 ships and the U.S. less than 300. Looking at the possibility of conflict in the South China Sea and the area around Taiwan, both quality and quantity of ships would matter. To help, a U.S. ally is extending a hand. Together, India and Washington will build what's called a thousand-ship navy. The U.S. Navy in in 2015 had talked of a thousand-ship navy, including all the uh, friendly uh, 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 partner navies uh, coming together. Uh, so, uh, that is something uh, we in the maritime domain always uh, look forward to. The Indian Navy chief added that no nation can address today's challenges individually. He made the comments in New Delhi this weekend during a visit from two top officials, Admiral John C. Aquilino, commander of U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, and Koji Yamazaki, Japanese chief of staff for its Ministry of Defense. Their visit comes amid Beijing's increased efforts to boost its influence in the Indo-Pacific. India maintains about 130 ships. In Japan, more than 120 ships. Both nations are also ramping up shipbuilding. 
Careers fairs are back in China after three years of lockdowns, but for most job seekers, things aren't looking good as competition stands at record highs. Here's more. Hundreds of on-site job fairs are resuming across China, while opportunities for young graduates are slimmer than ever. In eastern China's Shandong province, 100,000 candidates vying for 1,000 posts in a state-owned enterprise. While a university in Nanjing received 2,000 applications for two underpaid library and vacancies, along with scarce openings and subdued pay, Beijing's clampdown on the tech, education, and real estate sectors is spurring layoffs. Internet giant Tencent, online retailer Alibaba, and social media firm Weibo were once major employers of young elites, but they've been cutting staff in recent months. Leading online education providers are recruiting only tens of hundreds of people this year, compared to the more than 700,000 the industry used to absorb in past years. A real estate developer fired 90 percent of its employees as the housing market remains sluggish. Turning to another economic pillar, in China's manufacturing hub, Guangzhou, a factory worker says business has been tough this year. Basically, I'm working three days on and two days off. It's been a hard time for both the factory owner and us workers. The whole supply chain is moving from, uh, from uh, ASEAN countries into Vietnam and to India. So they are they're closing down in China mostly. We have seen that in the Pearl, Pearl Harbor, in the Pearl River uh, Delta, you know, also Yangtze River Delta, where the uh, most of the companies are located, we have seen a large scale shutdown, layoff, or, you know, of the factories. And some they just uh, closed factories or some moved factories, equipment to elsewhere. And that's why it's causing all those big layoffs. And, Last July, China's unemployment rate for 15 to 24-year-olds reached nearly 20 percent, a new high since Beijing started counting the figure. This means one in five of China's urban youth was out of work. And for those who are working, job loss anxiety is prevalent. According to a major Chinese recruiting firm, almost half of the white-collar workers surveyed fear they won't secure their jobs this year. Graver social consequences are also looming. Radio Free Asia, citing Chinese officials, reported at least seven fatal bloodshed incidents during a single week in February, all of them related to unemployment in low-income groups. Coming up, changes and hints for the future emerge from a major Chinese Communist Party meeting. What do they mean for the world? We sat down with Bradley Thayer, founding member of the Committee on the Present Danger China and co-author of Understanding the China Threat for his take on potential nuclear war and the idea of turning Taiwan into the 51st state. The balloon, to my mind, was a signal. It was not just an intelligence collection operations, but it was a signal that the Chinese Communist Party is not going to leave the American homeland alone. If war comes, they're going to target the United States in the United States, the American people themselves. More on that after the break, here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. New developments from one of the Chinese Communist Party's most important political meetings, the two sessions. Chinese leader Xi Jinping has tightened his grip on the party, but what does that mean for the West? We hear from Bradley Thayer, founding member of the Committee on the Present Danger China and co-author of Understanding the China Threat on key takeaways from the two sessions, potential nuclear war and the idea of turning Taiwan into the 51st state. 
Bradley Thayer, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to join you. So to begin, China just had its biggest political meeting over the weekend, the two sessions. What's so significant about this? What do you see maybe some of the changes are going forward? Well, I think in the first, in terms of uh, the legislative meeting, of course, uh, Xi Jinping is confirmed. Um, there wasn't much surprise uh, uh, in that, and that the 20th Party Congress in October um, uh, confirmed. And I think it's a bit more interesting than looking at the social and getting the, the sense of the Chinese people. The messages there were for the Chinese people to spend more, to consume more, uh, and to have a bit more leisure time. I think those were very interesting meshes, messages that come out of uh, that meeting, particularly that the Chinese Communist Party wants to advance domestic consumption. Uh, by uh, the Chinese people for two reasons, I believe. First, to um, help minimize the resistance or the unrest that was present with the end of zero COVID that we saw with the blank page protests of last, late last year. And then secondly, of course, to grow that aspect of the economy. And Bradley, on that economic front, it seems Xi Jinping did tap four people to lead China's economy, and they are seen as loyalists and have no experience studying abroad, which has some foreign investors concerned about what that might do to markets. What do you see happening there? I think absolutely it's loyalist. It's, again, his um, anaconda-like strangulation of any type or possibility of resistance within the party to him. They haven't studied abroad. I mean, they're loyalist to Xi Jinping, and that's why they got their positions, not due to their expertise, uh, I think, in, in, uh, in the economic realm or dealing with economic, international uh, economic issues. So that's an important development, and it just shows uh, his strength and his stranglehold on the party. And Bradley, it seems on that note right now, there's a lot of focus on Xi Jinping. And actually, the Wall Street Journal noted that this was kind of the first time that Xi Jinping took direct aim at the U.S. in his speech, really blaming the Washington-led, quote, containment, encirclement, and suppression, which he says is what's causing all the unrest internally in China. What do you see with that? Is it just talk, or is there more actions that might be coming? Well... It's concerning because, as you mentioned, he is identifying the United States, which he was, uh, which he always was oblique about, or almost always was oblique about before. Uh, so, um, in identifying the United States in name, he's uh, drawing lines uh, in in the sand between um, his vision for the world, his vision of China, of uh, his interests, and um, how the United States opposes that. So. It's just another symptom of how this a Cold War is becoming colder. It's becoming more intense. And Bradley, on that note, especially of the strategic side, what should the U.S. be doing going forward to make sure the U.S. either stays ahead or doesn't fall behind? Well, uh, another interesting development, too, of course, was his emphasis on, on AI and ensuring uh, Xi Jinping's emphasis on in, uh, increasing the defense budget. Um, again, China's opaque about the defense budget, but nonetheless uh, a, a dramatic increase in the defense budget, but also the attention devoted to uh, information technology and artificial intelligence, recognizing that those are going to be critical for warfare uh, in the future. What the United States needs to do 
is decouple from China. That is, stop trade in critical areas with China. Secondly, take China out of Wall Street financial markets. No longer allow China to raise money on our capital markets. Thirdly, have a robust conventional deterrence in the Indo-Pacific. Um, that is to Taiwan, but also working with the Japanese, the Australians, and partners like the Indians, uh, and even NATO allies, bringing them into the Indo-Pacific to help ensure that there's a, a strong conventional deterrent on Taiwan to combat China. Um, fourthly, nuclear deterrence, that we need to strengthen our nuclear arsenal and ensure that we have the ability, uh, should China think about aggressing, to make it clear to Xi Jinping uh, that he and his regime would not survive uh, any conflict. Uh, and all of those steps uh, are necessary uh, to, uh, broadly necessary, to deal with uh, the threat that we see from Xi Jinping. Lastly, I would add, putting a greater emphasis on political warfare, recognizing that the Chinese Communist Party is illegitimate and working with the Chinese people and uh, Chinese citizens around the world uh, to undermine the grip that the Chinese Communist Party has on the Chinese uh, uh, people. And Bradley, speaking of the unrest, it seems there are some movements in the country to kind of galvanize the national spirit. You have these defense mobilization offices being set up all around the country and in Xiamen, which is like the closest area to Taiwan. You have these emergency alert systems on cell phones that can direct people to the nearest bunkers. Where do you see all that going? Is this just to get the inside spirit or is this actual maybe war preparation? Well, it's certainly war preparation. It's not just for bolstering. Illegitimate regimes often do things like this to try to bolster uh, their support. Um, there's certainly an element of that, but it, to my mind, it's even worse uh, that they are moving the Chinese people forward to a period of great sacrifice um, that would be uh, conceivably that would come out of their effort, as Xi Jinping has identified, uh, to conquer Taiwan. Uh, that's one of the ambitions, that's one of the aims of the Chinese Communist Party, and Xi Jinping certainly seems um, to uh, uh, realize this uh, in a very near term, the next year, the next year and a half, the next two years. And Bradley, what would that great sacrifice look like? I think much depends on what when China uh, seeks to aggress and how China seeks to aggress. Uh, if it is aggression against Taiwan, uh, and the U.S. is able to work with its allies, with the Taiwanese, uh, to stop that invasion, to deny, if you will, the ability of the Chinese to have airborne landings or an amphibious assault, uh, then perhaps uh, the war um, is a short war and it de-escalates. And that failure greatly undermines Xi Jinping's rule, and he might be overthrown. However, of course, we could recognize how that might embolden him uh, to employ nuclear weapons or to aggress uh, horizontally against U.S. allies, Australia, Japan, or against the American homeland. The balloon, to my mind, was a signal. It was not just an intelligence collection operations, but it was a signal that the Chinese Communist Party is not going to leave the American homeland alone. If war comes, they're going to target the United States in the United States, the American people themselves. And Bradley, on that note, what should the U.S. be doing right now to up that deterrence so that we don't end up in this situation? First, 
explicitly improving the relationship with Taiwan, uh, recognize that Taiwan is an ally, make Taiwan the 51st state. If Taiwan is made the 51st state, uh, deterrence is greatly strengthened. Encourage the Indians, the Australians, the Japanese, the Germans, the French, the British to deploy forces on Taiwan uh, and to increase the overt American presence on Taiwan. Bradley Thayer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.